All right, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you this morning. Do you have your Bible with you? Good, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is where you need to turn. If you don't have a Bible, grab one from the pew rack right there in front of you so you can follow along as we study God's Word together. Last week, we continued our look at Hebrews chapter 11 and what it means to live by faith. Specifically, we talked about Rahab the harlot from Jericho, who, against all odds and against all cultural norms, is an example for us of what it looks like to live by faith. We talked in the application about how Rahab is about the least likely person to appear in Hebrews chapter 11, but that is the way the Lord works. It's just like him to take the most unlikely person and do something extraordinary through them, and therefore there is hope for all of us. All of us in this room and all of them out there in our neighborhoods and in the world because God's grace is sufficient because of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, we talked about how Rahab, she didn't know much about the Lord, but she responded in faithfulness to what she did know. And therefore, we said, let's not wait until we are experts in theology to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to trust in him. Thirdly, we talked about how Rahab passed on what she knew about the Lord to the people around her, to her family, as she invited them in to be saved from the destruction that the Israelites were bringing. How she taught her son, Boaz, about what compassion and grace looks like. We talked about how she passed it on to the people around her. And then the question for us was, to whom are we passing the message of Jesus to? And then finally, we talked about how Rahab was clearly saved by grace through faith. She, like all of us, did not deserve salvation. She deserved judgment and wrath. And she received salvation, not by working and doing, but by trusting and believing in the message. And her trust was demonstrated in obedience. Her trust, her faith was demonstrated in her actions. And this is how we are saved today as well. We deserve condemnation. We deserve wrath and judgment because of our sin. And we are saved not because we deserve it, but because God is gracious and he offers us salvation. And we receive salvation not by working and doing, but by trusting him. And that trust is evidenced by our lives, by our our obedience to the Lord's commands. So today we'll move on from Rahab We'll start to look at the rest of Hebrews chapter 11. And and over the last few weeks, we've noticed that the author's pace has been steadily increasing. If you remember at the beginning of Hebrews 11, he would give multiple verses to each example. And then he shifted and he was only giving one sentence to each example. Well, today the pace quickens even more. In fact, one scholar referred to this as a sledgehammer style as the author of Hebrews is going to drop name after name, reference after reference. In fact, depending on how you count here in the passage we'll look at today, about 15 different characters, about 15 different stories he will allude to. And I like it. I like it. He uses a kind of a classic preacher move here. When, when he tells the people, I got a lot more to tell you, but I don't have time to tell you all about it. And then he tells them all about it anyway. That is a a good preacher move. That's like expert ninja level preacher move. When when you say, I want to tell you about this, this, and this, and this, but I don't have time to do that. Um, And in the process, you actually get to tell people. So this is a a trick that every preacher should master, but not use too often, right? Uh, And the author of Hebrews uses it here, and and I really like it a whole lot. So before we look at the passage today, I want us to remember 
the overall context of Hebrews, because we don't, we don't want to walk too far away from that as we're studying, because a lot of us are familiar with Hebrews chapter 11, but fewer of us are familiar with Hebrews chapter 11 as it sits in Hebrews as a whole, right? We, we know about the heroes of faith, but we don't know necessarily about why this list is given. So I want to remind you yet again about the overall context of this letter. It is written to a group of people who left Judaism, who, who walked away from the temple and the sacrifices and the priesthood and the festivals in order to follow after Jesus. They heard the message of grace through faith in Christ alone, and they followed after Jesus. And when they followed after Jesus and walked away from Judaism, their lives got really difficult. They started catching heat from their family. They started getting trouble from their neighbors. They began to to experience some difficulty in life. And in that difficulty, they were tempted to turn away from Jesus and go back to Judaism where their lives would be more comfortable. And so the author of Hebrews is writing this letter to this group of people who are really struggling with that. And he's trying to show them that Jesus is better than anything Judaism had to offer. In fact, all that Judaism was about was pointing to Jesus. All of that business about the temple and the sacrifices and the priesthood and the festivals, that ultimately all of that was pointing to Jesus, who is the fulfillment of all of those things. And the author of Hebrews says, because Jesus is better... You can't turn away from him when life gets hard because there's nowhere else to turn. If you turn your back on Jesus and try to find salvation somewhere else, you will not find salvation because salvation is only found in Jesus Christ. So he says to these people who are living a difficult life, he says, cling to Jesus, trust in Jesus, don't walk away from him, but draw ever closer to him even when life gets hard. So remember that. Remember that as we look at these examples of faithful living in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 to 35 today. That's what we're going to study, 32 to 35. Fifteen stories in those few verses, at least 15. Look what it says in Hebrews eleven thirty-two. God's word says, and what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection." And we're going to stop there because there's a definite shift of tone there that we will deal with next week uh, as we talk about uh, when, when life is difficult and we live lives of faithfulness. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for all of this rich backstory, all of these stories of your faithfulness and your people's faithfulness to you. God, we, we want to be familiar with all of this. We, we don't want to be illiterate when it comes to the biblical narrative and so we pray today that you open our eyes uh, to see these glorious truths and that we will be a people who live by faith. Even when life is hard, even when it doesn't go our way, that we will be a people who live by faith, trusting completely in you as our great God, as our good Father, that we will walk with you always. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So 
Knowing that there are at least 15 stories referred to in this text uh, makes deciding how to approach the text a little bit difficult on a day like this. So part of me said, let's take 15 weeks and let's talk about all of these stories in detail and stretch this out as long as we can. Um, part of me said, no, there's, there's a better way. Uh, there's another way, at least. Um, what I want to remind you about, I don't want to keep harping on this and I don't want to just make you feel bad about this. But I want us to know that the people who received this letter 2,000 years ago didn't need to be reminded about what these people represented. They didn't need to be reminded about the stories of David and Jephthah and Samson and Barak. When the author of Hebrews drops these names, those stories would have flashed through the minds of the readers. Their eyes would have seen all of those stories because they were familiar with them. And that's simply not the case for most of us in this room. Most of us, when we hear all of these names, our eyes are not seeing these stories. Maybe our eyes are glassing over and saying, I've got no idea who Barack was. I know Barack Obama. I don't think that's who we're talking about. Um, we, we don't know these stories. And so uh, what I want to encourage you yet again, as I have for week after week now, is read your Bible. Read your Bible. All of these guys have incredible stories that are in the Bible. And if we will read it, we will know these stories. Let me ask you this question. Have the stories that I've told you for the last two or three weeks been boring? No, they're incredible stories, right? Twists and turns all over the place. Heroes and villains and action. It's incredible. And the Bible is full of those kind of stories. If we would just read it. Our friends that say the Bible is boring are wrong. They've never read it. They've never read it. If you will read it, you will see it is far from boring. And beyond that, it is powerful to change your life. And so many of us are not experiencing that power because our Bibles just sit on our shelves from week to week until you come back in this place and we share it with you. So read your Bible, okay? So here's how we're going to approach it today. Difficult to know which way to approach it, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you a few of these 15 stories today. I'm going to go back and kind of walk through a few of these, but I'm going to tell you where you can find all of these stories, and I'm going to encourage you to go back and check out the ones that I don't tell you on your own sometime this week. In fact, there will be about enough of them that you could do one per day for this week. Go back and read the story of Samson. Read the story of somebody else that I'm not going to tell you today. Fair enough? I'll tell you about half, you're on your own for the other half. Sound like fair? Better than fair. Better than fair. All right, so look at it. First name that he mentions is Gideon. And you can find the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 6 through Judges chapter 8. So several of these guys that he mentions right at the beginning of this passage come from the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is crazy. Right There are some amazing stories in the book of Judges. You should tell your friends that say, oh, I don't, I don't study the Bible, I don't go to church, I don't read the Bible because it's so boring. You should say, read Judges and get back to me. <laughs> read Judges and tell me it's boring. There's a story in Judges about an assassin who was left-handed, who went to kill a, a, a pagan nasty king who was like super fat, and he was so fat that when the left-handed assassin stuck his sword into the fat belly of the king, his, his whole hand went in, and the sword got stuck. I'm not making that up. That's in the Bible. There's a whole story about it, incredible stuff in Judges, so it's not boring. And in Judges, we need to recognize it was a dark time for God's people. In fact, the kind of overarching theme of Judges is everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Does that sound familiar to you? Yeah, it sounds like America today. 
Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And what we see in Judges is this consistent pattern where God's people would sin, they would rebel against him, and he would bring some kind of judgment upon them, some kind of discipline, usually in the form of an invader from the outside who would come and overtake them and oppress them. And in the midst of their struggle, they would cry out to God. They would cry out to God for deliverance, and he would raise up a deliverer known as a judge. These guys that we're talking about here, Gideon and Samson and Jephthah, they were judges. God would raise someone up to deliver them. And God's people would repent and they would experience deliverance and they would experience restoration and good things were happening. And then, guess what happened? Uh, the back of the shampoo bottle says, rinse and repeat. <laughs> right? Lather, rinse, repeat. That's exactly the way uh, judges goes. The people just kept doing the same thing over and over again. So I want to tell you about Gideon here. Judges 6 through 8. Israel was, because of their sin, uh, being oppressed by an army, and everyone was afraid. Everyone was hiding like out in caves, and everyone was afraid. And Gideon, this one young man, was out threshing some wheat. He was doing some work, but he was threshing the wheat in a wine press. Like the worst place to thresh wheat you can imagine. But he was trying to do something. And as he's there, an angel of the Lord, maybe the angel of the Lord, came to him and said, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. How are you like that? Mighty man of valor. And I, my guess is Gideon's kind of looking around. Talking to me? I'm in the wine vat threshing wheat. That's not a mighty man of valor. But the angel says to him, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deliver my people and I'm going to use you to do it. I'm going to use your hand to bring my people out of this oppression that they're experiencing. And so Gideon uh, is immediately kind of bold and responsive to what the angel tells him. In fact, he goes and he tears down some pagan altar and some symbolism of pagan worship and a place of pagan worship. He tears it down and he destroys it. And it seems like initially he's on the right track and he's doing good and he's bold. But then... He hesitates a bit. He hesitates a bit before he takes the next step and he says, says to the Lord, Lord, if this is really what you want to do, if you really want to use me to deliver your people, I'm going to need a sign. And so you may remember this. He took a piece of fleece, a piece of felt, some kind of wool-like substance, and he put it out for the night. And he said, all right, Lord, if I wake up in the morning and the fleece is covered with dew, it's soaking wet with dew, but all of the grass around it is dry. Then I'll know that you've chosen me and I'll go and do it. So guess what happened? The next morning he got up and the fleece was soaking wet with dew and the grass all around it was completely dry. In fact, it was so wet that he was able to wring it out and fill up a bucket with the water. So what do you think he did? He said, well, Lord, just to be super clear... <laughs> I got another fleece here, and I'm going to put it out tonight. And tonight, if the fleece is dry and the grass is wet, then I'll know that you have called me. And so guess what happens? He puts the fleece out, and sure enough, he gets up the next morning, and the fleece is dry, and everything else is wet. And I want to give you a little bit of a, a caveat here. This is not part of the story. This is my pastoral word to you. There are some passages of Scripture that are meant to be descriptive. They just describe what happened rather than prescriptive, where this is what you should do. Like, there is a reason why at the Christian bookstore they don't sell fleeces. This is not the best way to discern the will of God. It's not the best way to know what he wants you to do. Like, I don't have a fleece in my office that you can borrow tonight to figure out if you should go on the next mission trip or not. Okay, this is, this is just a description. It's not necessarily recommended for you. Okay, but 
After that second time, he seems to be pretty bold and he's ready to go. And so he gathers up the army of Israel and they're going to get ready to go attack the people. And 32,000 soldiers join Gideon. 32,000 soldiers are ready, ready for battle, dressed for battle. And uh, the Lord says to Gideon, too many. You got too many soldiers there. If you go into battle with 32,000 soldiers and you win, the people will think they did it rather than I did it. And so you need less soldiers. And so the Lord says, hey, Gideon, tell the ones that are afraid they can go home. Just no harm, no foul. If you're afraid, go on home. Guess how many left? 22,000 went home that day. I'd probably go home too. I'd probably be in that group. 22,000 of them went home, only 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, too many soldiers, still too many soldiers. If you go into battle with 10,000 soldiers, the people will think they did it rather than I did it, so you need fewer soldiers. So he said, go down to the water. Take those 10,000 down to the water. And the ones who scoop up the water with their hand and drink it, take those into battle. And so of 10,000 soldiers that went down to the water, guess how many scooped up the water and drank it out of their hand? 300. 300 soldiers. Then the Lord said, we're good to go. 300. With those 300 soldiers, I want you to go into battle, and I promise you, you will win. And it will be clear that it's not you, it's not 300 soldiers, it's me who has given the victory to you, right? So... Gideon gets all ready, and uh, the night before he's going to send them into battle, he goes to spy out the enemy camp. And this is a really cool story, and I'm not going to tell you all of it. But he, he goes to spy out the camp, and he overhears two enemy soldiers talking about a dream one of them had about a loaf of bread rolling down a hill. And Gideon's like, we got it. We're going to win. It's the craziest part of the story to me. He hears this dream about a loaf of bread rolling down a hill, and he is even more bold thinking that they are going to win. He is confident because of that dream that they are going to win. So he gets his soldiers together, and he divides them up. He's only got 300 soldiers, but he divides them into three groups of 100 each, and he tells them to surround the city, the city that they're going to attack, and he gives them the craziest instruments of war. He gives them trumpets. Remember that? Sounds familiar, right? We talked about the trumpet a while ago. He gives them trumpets and he gives them torches. And over the top of the torches, he puts pitchers so that the light can't be seen. And he says, here's the deal, guys. We're going to surround the city in the middle of the night. And when I blow my trumpet, you blow your trumpet. And then you smash the pot on top of your torch. And then you shout, a great shout. And what is the shout, Sam and Bailey? For the Lord and for Gideon. <laughs> this is great. Uh, we did not work this out beforehand. For some reason, I told this story like five years ago, and I knew those guys remembered it because they give me grief about it all the time still. <laughs> right? Yeah. One year ago, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> One year to the Lord is like 10,000, so. <laughs> so they break the pots, they shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. And when they do this, when they do this, the enemy camp is like thrown into the cra this crazy confusion and the enemy kills each other. Like they don't even have to rush in and kill anybody. Like the enemy warriors rise up and they kill each other because they can't figure out what's going on. And the Lord delivers a great victory to Gideon. That's a great story, isn't it? And I only told you like a fraction of that story. If you will read it in Judges chapter 6 through 8, you will see some more incredible things. So... Here's Gideon. First example, the author of Hebrews just drops it. He said, time, time doesn't 
permit me to tell you about Gideon. I don't have time to tell you about Gideon. Well, here's Gideon. He's afraid. He's uncertain. He's outmatched for sure. But he's trusting. He's obeying. And he experienced a great triumph. In fact, that seems to be the theme with these guys that we're going to look at today and the stories that are referred to is that they trusted the Lord and experienced a great triumph. Now, that's not always the way it goes. In fact, all of next week will, about, will be about people who trusted in the Lord and got sawn in two, trusted in the Lord and got their heads cut off. But what we're looking at today is people who trusted in the Lord and experienced a great triumph like Gideon. All right? So then he mentions Barak, who is in Judges chapter 4 to 5. And his story is similar to the story of Gideon in that he was afraid. And he trusted the Lord in the midst of his fear and experienced a great victory. His story goes something like this. There was a prophet uh, who was a woman, a prophetess. Her name uh, was Deborah. And she called this guy Barak, who was a military leader, forward to give him marching orders from the Lord. To go and attack the enemy who had oppressed them. Again, they were at the bottom of this cycle where they had sinned and the Lord had raised up an enemy against them. And they were down here, but they were calling out for salvation. And Deborah said, Barak, you go. You go and God will give the enemy into your hands. And you know what Barak said? Uh, I'll go if you go. I'll go if you go, Deborah. It's exactly what he said. Do you ever do that? My kids do it all the time. My kids are afraid uh, to go to the garage when it's dark outside. My kids are afraid uh, to go to the car when it's dark outside. And I often hear this conversation where I say, hey, go out to the car and get such and such. And one of them will say to the other, I'll go if you go. <laughs> He's afraid and didn't want to go by himself. And he said that to Deborah. And you know what Deborah said? I'm in. Let's go. She wasn't afraid. She was ready to go. In fact, she also said, I'll go with you, but listen, you need to know this. When the king give, or when, when God gives the victory over this king, it won't be credited to you. It'll be credited to a woman. And she wasn't referring to herself. I'll have to let you read about exactly who, to whom she was referring um, in Judges chapter 4 and 5. So they went. Even though he was afraid, even though he hesitated, they went and they experienced a great victory. So there's Barak. Quick story about him. He was afraid. He was uncertain. He was outmatched. And he was, but he was trusting and obeying. Even though he needed a little help, a little encouragement from the prophetess, he experienced a great triumph. Next, Samson. Judges 13 to 16. I'm not going to tell you anything about Samson. You need to read about Samson on your own. I will tell you this, I believe with all my heart that God used the story of Samson in Judges 13 to 16 to change a friend of mine's life when he was in high school. This was a guy who was just kind of too cool for church and never thought the Bible was significant, never thought it was interesting, and somebody introduced him to Samson and, and he was hooked. Through the story of Samson, God changed this guy's life and maybe he'll do the same thing with you. So you study about Samson on your own time, Judges 13 to 16. Next guy that's mentioned is Jephthah. Who knows the story of Jephthah? That's a tough word to say, Jephthah. Yeah, not many people know his story, but it's a really interesting story from the very beginning. You see, the children of God were in a bad place, just like the rest of Judges. They had sinned. You can read his story in 10 to 12 of the book of Judges. They were upset because there was no one found to deliver them. Like they were crying out for someone to rise up and deliver them, but they couldn't find anybody. 
There was nobody willing to step forward and say, I'll take charge. There was no Gideon. There was no Barak. There was no Deborah. There was no one to step up and say, I'll do it. The Lord is calling me out. But there was this guy named Jephthah. And Jephthah turns out to be the guy who will deliver God's people. But his backstory is really odd. He was the son of a prostitute. Jephthah, the leader who would deliver God's people, was the son of a prostitute. And his dad had other children with his wife. So he was an illegitimate son, and his dad had other legitimate children. And when the legitimate children grew up, they cast out Jephthah, the illegitimate son. They said, we don't want anything to do with you. You don't belong in our family. Get out of here. And he did. He left. Not only he left the house, he left the whole country, and he was hanging out with some bad men. Some bad people. But in that process, he became a mighty warrior. He became a mighty warrior. And so when the children of God needed someone to deliver them, they remembered about Jephthah. And they called Jephthah and they said, hey, come, come back. We need you. And he came back and he said, if, if I come back and I deliver a victory for you, you make me the head man in charge around here? And they said, yeah, that's the deal. That's been the deal from the beginning. No one else was willing to step forward, though. But if you come back and you step forward and you lead us in victory, then, then you will be the head man in charge around here. So he came back. And in his first effort to bring victory, he went with the diplomatic approach. He talked to the enemy, and he talked about whether or not they could work some kind of deal out. But the enemy was not reasonable, and it came time to fight. And so just before it came time to fight, Jephthah went to the Lord and he prayed to the Lord and he said, all right, God, I'm going to fight. And if you'll give me the victory here, when I come home in victory, the first thing that comes out of my house, I will sacrifice to you. I will sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my house to you because of the victory. And so he goes and he fights and he wins the victory and he comes back home. And guess what? The first thing that comes out of his house is his daughter, his one and only child, who happened to be a virgin daughter. She sees him coming from a distance. She comes out of the house. She is dancing. She is singing. She is playing a tambourine. And when Jephthah sees her, his heart is absolutely destroyed. He is just absolutely heartbroken because he made this vow to the Lord and he needs to fulfill it. And God did give him a great victory, but it came with some heartache in the end. You can read about that guy in Judges chapter 10 through 12. Here's Jephthah. He's afraid. He's uncertain. He's outmatched. He's got a bad pedigree. He's an outcast from the society. But he trusts in the Lord. He obeys the Lord. And he experiences a great triumph, even though that triumph was mixed with some heartache and some tragedy. That's Jephthah. David, you know David, don't you? If there's one character in this whole series that you know about, it's David. You can read about him in 1 Samuel and Psalms and really a hundred other places in the scriptures. So you check David out in your own time. And then there's Samuel. He was a prophet. And you can read about him in guess what books? Uh, Samuel. When in doubt, use the name. First and Second Samuel, you can read about him. And then he also mentions the prophets. And he just uses them in general to say, these guys walk by faith. They walk by faith and many of them experience great victories. And then, after he mentions the prophets, there's a shift from the characters involved to the actions of those involved. From the characters to the actions of faith. And he mentions uh, 
some who were saved from the mouths of lions. He says, shut the mouths of lions. That's the next kind of category. And you can read about a guy who shut the mouths of lions by faith in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. I'm not going to tell you that story. You read that story on your own this week. The story about how Daniel shut the mouths of lions by faith and how God took care of him. And when, and when they came to take him out, the men who had put him in there got gobbled up by the lions. The same lions that were meant to devour Daniel devoured those men instead of him. Incredible story of God's faithfulness. And then he mentions some who quenched the power of fire. That's a reference to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3. And I want to tell you their story. I've told you their story before, but it's, it's a good one. It's a good one, right? This was during a period of time when God's people had been taken away from their land. The enemy had come in and not taken over them where they were. They had taken them back to where they lived. And so there were these three guys who lived in this pagan land under a king named Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar was a bad man. And he thought he was God. And he thought he should be worshipped as God. So he built a big giant statue of himself. And he made a law in the whole land that every time the trumpets played... Everyone had to bow down and worship him as God, worship this statue and worship Nebuchadnezzar as God. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we can't do that. We worship the one true God. We're not going to bow down and worship this pagan king. No way are we going to do this. Well, some of their colleagues found out about it and tattled on them, and the king summoned them to come to him. Nebuchadnezzar said, you guys come in here. I'm going to give you one more chance. I'm going to give you one more chance to bow down to me. Play the music. And they played the music, and the boys didn't bow down. And they said, listen, listen, king, wh whether it's right or not, we're not going to bow down before you. We cannot do that. We must worship God and worship him alone. Well, you know what the penalty was for not worshiping this image? It was to be burned by fire in a fiery furnace. And so the king was just absolutely outraged at these men and what they had done. And so he called his servants and he said, stoke the fire even hotter than it usually is. In fact, he said, make it seven times hotter than ever because these boys are going to burn. They're going to pay for what they have done. And so the people did it. In fact, the guys who were stoking the fire were absolutely consumed by the fire and they died in this whole process. And they threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire and the king looked in he said, I thought we threw three guys into the fire, but now there are four, and one of them looks like the Son of God. And he immediately commanded them to take the men out, and guess what happened when they came out? They were totally fine. They were totally fine. They weren't burnt. Their clothes were still intact. In fact, the Bible says they didn't even smell like smoke. They said before the king threw them in the fire, our God will deliver us. He can deliver us. He will deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down to you. And God did deliver them. In fact, the king at that point recognized that the one true God was the one true God. And it was an incredible, incredible day. So here are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Scared, outnumbered in a pagan land. But they were obedient to the Lord. They trusted in him. And he delivered them in a great victory. Then the author of Hebrews mentions some guys who were spared from the edge of the sword. That might be a reference to Elijah, Elisha, or Jeremiah. 
It might be a reference to David and Goliath. It might be a reference to Gideon and his 300 soldiers. There are a number of stories in the Old Testament that would fall under that category. And then finally, he talks about some women who received their children back from the dead by resurrection. This is incredible. There are two great, two great stories in the Old Testament about this. One of them is found in 1 Kings 17, and the other is found in 2 Kings chapter 4. 1 Kings 17 is the story I want to share with you. It's about Elijah. Elijah had, was a prophet. Elijah was a prophet, and he had just gone to the evil king Ahab. And he had said, Ahab, because of your evil deeds, because of your wickedness, it's not going to rain anymore in your land. In fact, it won't rain again until I say it's going to rain again. And maybe you remember the other end of this story where uh, Elijah goes back to Ahab and says, all right, it's going to rain again. And then it rains, right? After years and years of no rain. So right after that, after he tells Ahab it's not going to rain, he goes off to a river, a little stream in the wilderness. And the Bible says that the Lord appointed ravens, black birds, to come and minister to him. They brought him food and they brought him water and these ravens took care of him for a certain period of time. And then the Lord said, I want you to get up and go into a certain city. And when you get to that city, you're going to meet a widow. There's going to be a widow there and she's going to take care of you. She will meet your needs. And so Elijah, he gets up and he heads off into this city. And as soon as he gets into the city, he sees a widow and she's gathering up some sticks. She's gathering up some little sticks and he says, Hey, lady, I need some bread and some water. Can you make me some bread and give me some water? And she said, sir, I'm sorry. I only have the tiniest bit of flour left and the tiniest bit of oil left. And I'm out here gathering up these sticks so that I can make a fire and bake one last loaf of bread for me and my son, and then we're going to die. Then we're going to die. I would love to give you something, but I don't have anything to give you. We're going to eat our last meal, and then we're going to starve to death. And Elijah says to this woman, he says, you give me the bread and the water that I've asked for, and the Lord will cause your flour to last forever and your oil to last forever for the rest of your lives. And so she is faithful and she uh, makes one cake and she feeds it to Elijah and he eats it. And for the rest of her life, that one little bowl of flour that she had that didn't have very much in it, never went empty. And the one little jar of oil she had left never went empty. The Lord supernaturally provided for her and for Elijah because he stayed in her house. And the three of them, the widow, her son, and Elijah, ate bread every day from what the Lord had provided. But not long after that, the son got really sick. The son of the widow got really sick and he died. And she was so upset. This widow lady was so upset. She was upset at God. She was upset at Elijah. She and Elijah have a pretty interesting exchange, and it is clear she is a broken-hearted mom. And Elijah says, give me the boy. And he takes this dead boy up to the upper room where he was staying, and he prays to God that God would raise the boy from the dead. And he lays himself on top of the boy. And this happens three times. And on the third time, the boy is brought back to life. This boy that was dead is brought back to life and it is proof that the one true God is the one true God. And he takes the boy, Elijah does, back downstairs and presents the boy who was dead to his mom as alive once again. And the mom says this, this is at the end, uh, this is 1724. She says, now I know that you are a man of God 
and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. And there's another story similar to that in 2 Kings chapter 4, where a lady had a son who died, and Elisha, this time not Elijah, Elisha is the one who raises that boy back to life. Incredible stuff here, right? So here's this woman, alone, afraid, brokenhearted, against all odds, but she trusts the Lord, she believes in him, she gave the prophet her last loaf of bread. How foolish would she have felt if he had eaten the bread and then they all died? But she trusted the Lord that he would provide and she demonstrated that trust by obeying the Lord's commands and the Lord delivered a great victory for them. You see the theme here? There are these people who are alone and afraid and God takes care of them as they trust in him. You think that means something for the people this letter was written to initially? Yeah, they were alone. They were afraid. They were in danger. They were outmanned, but they trusted in the Lord and the Lord will take care of them of them. George Guthrie gave us this great definition of faith that we've talked about for several weeks now to be on the board. He says, faith is confidence that results in action carried out in a variety of situations by ordinary people in response to the unseen God and his promises with various earthly outcomes, but always with the ultimate outcome of God's commendation and reward. 15 times in these four verses we've looked at today, 15 times we see that play out as true. 15 times we see that demonstrated as absolutely true. So three applications today from what we've seen. Number one, each one of these characters had significant flaws and yet God used them. Each one of these characters had significant flaws. Some of them were overtly sinful like Samson. Some of them had bad pedigrees. Some of them were just timid and shy. But they all had significant flaws and yet God used them. They were not squeaky clean candidates for usefulness in God's kingdom. And yet he chose to use them. And that means he can use you too. That means he can use me too in spite of whatever backstory you have. So here's what I want to say to you. Don't disqualify yourself from usefulness in God's kingdom. Don't let Satan convince you you're disqualified from usefulness in God's kingdom. You've got some kind of crazy backstory, and you might just end up in Hebrews chapter 11 as you're faithful to God in the midst of it. Don't disqualify yourself from usefulness in God's kingdom. Number two. Each one of these characters faced terrible odds, and yet God gave them victory. Each one of them faced terrible odds. Gideon went to battle with a worldwide power with 300 men, and God gave him, armed with torches and trumpets, and God gave them victory. They faced unbeatable odds, and God took care of them, and I want to encourage you with that as well. Because you face some powerful enemies today. And you may feel like you don't stand a chance. But I want you to hear that if the Lord is on your side, you will overcome. If you will trust in him and depend on him, you will overcome. That is the overarching story of these examples. It doesn't always mean that, the God, give, that God gives this kind of victory. We'll see that next week. Sometimes you get sawn in two and you go to heaven. But he always gives a victory of some sort for those who trust in him. 
Each one of these guys faced terrible odds, and yet God gave them a victory. And then number three, when I read about all these characters, I see that God delivers at unlikely times, in unlikely ways, through unlikely people. Unlikely times, unlikely ways, unlikely people, and they are incredible stories. And I want to be part of those kind of stories, don't you? Like, I want to be one of those guys with a torch and the trumpet and watch the enemy kill each other. I want to be one of those guys that sees God work in incredible ways. But you know what? To be one of those guys that gets to see that kind of stuff, you have to walk forward in faith. You don't get to watch that kind of stuff happen from the grandstands. 32,000 men started out that day. 32,000, 22,000 of them went home when they said, you can go home if you're afraid. They didn't get to see it. 10,000 of them just got cut because of the way they drink water. I want to be one of those 300 who are walking by faith and get to see incredible things. But I promise you this, you won't see any, anything incredible just sitting there. Just sitting there doing nothing, not really trusting in the Lord, not taking bold action ever, you won't see anything incredible. So I'm calling you to action. Not just trust, but confidence that results in action. Get up and walk forward and watch what the Lord might do. You might have a crazy story to tell someday. All for his glory. He might deliver some amazing victory. All for his glory. So that others can rejoice in the power of God on display in your life. So don't just sit there. Walk forward boldly, confidently, in faith. Let's stand together and pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for all of these men and women you've chosen to use throughout history. Thank you for telling us their stories. Thank you for teaching us through their lives. I thank you that you used them even though they were flawed, even though they were dirty, even though they were sinful. Thank you that you can use each man and woman and boy and girl in this room as well. God, I pray that you will teach us not to disqualify ourselves when you intend to use us greatly. And God, I thank you that as we face terrible odds and big enemies in our lives, that we can trust in you and look to you to give us victory. I pray that you will teach us over the next few weeks what that victory looks like ultimately. And God, we pray that you will help us to walk forward boldly in faith. We know that you deliver at unlikely times in unlikely ways through unlikely people. And we want to be in the story. We want to be in the action. We don't want to be watching from the sidelines or the grandstands. We want to be in the action. And so we pray that you will help us to move forward. Give us a holy discontent with sitting still. And propel us. Propel us into the work that you're doing around the world and show us great things of your power and your grace and your faithfulness to us. Father, we pray for men and women and boys and girls who are in this room who don't know you, that today you would reach down and invade their lives, change them by your grace, show them their sin, show them the cross as Jesus dies for them, give them faith to believe and repentance to turn. And God, change them forever and ever for your own glory today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.